Hello, my name is Julia Streets and a very warm welcome to this special edition of Diversity Podcast, talking equality, diversity and inclusion before a live audience at the Women in Payment Symposium in Washington, D.C. objective is to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And today I'm delighted to be hosting a panel with three distinguished industry practitioners. Jan Estep, President and CEO of Natcha, Linda Caranto, Managing Director of Deloitte and Randall Tucker, Chief Inclusion Officer of MasterCard. As President and CEO, Jan Estep is responsible for setting the vision and strategy for the organisation. Nature brings together diverse stakeholders to develop rules, standards, governance, education and advocacy programs, all designed to foster compatibility and integration across a wide range of payment systems, including the world-famous ACH network. As an industry expert and thought leader, Jan participates on several payments and healthcare organizations, boards and bodies, and has received many accolades as one of the industry's most influential women in payments. Linda Caranto is a Managing Director in Deloitte's Human Capital Financial Services Consulting Practice. Offering more than 25 years of experience in both industry and consulting roles, Linda has assisted some of the firm's most prestigious financial services clients with their transformation initiatives. She offers deep domain expertise and experience in the fields of talent, culture, diversity and inclusion, and also the future of work. And as if that's not enough, Linda also leads a senior level unconscious bias training and reinforcement strategy for Deloitte's financial services leaders. Randall Tucker is the Chief Inclusion Officer for MasterCard, where he is responsible for aligning the company's global diversity and inclusion initiatives with a corporate business strategy, all to ensure that every employee has the opportunity to reach their greatest potential. Before joining MasterCard, Randall served as the head of diversity at Darden Restaurants and led the global diversity and inclusion strategy for Starwood Hotels and Resorts worldwide. Randall is proud to have been a guest lecturer at Georgetown University's School of Continuing Studies and is also a Six Sigma black belt. And with that, I invite this wonderful audience at the Women in Payment Symposium here in Washington, DC, to join me in welcoming Jan, Linda, and Randall. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome one, welcome all. So uh, at the top of each episode, what we always do is we invite each guest. Just take a minute to talk about uh, what you're doing in your equality, diversity and inclusion initiatives uh, before we then open up the discussion. So Randall, let me start with you. What, what are you up to at the moment? Well, Julia, thank you so much for having me. And my name again is Randall Tucker and I lead global inclusion and diversity for MasterCard. And we are an organization of over 14, 15,000 folks that are committed to meeting and exceeding the customer experience. Whatever their need is, we're try and trying to make sure that we're doing that. And as a part of that, inclusion and diversity helps support us meeting, exceeding our customer wants, desires, and needs. Um, some of the things that we're really excited about from an inclusion and diversity perspective is that we believe it's not a one-size-fits-all model. We have a North Star as a company of where we want to go, but as I go through the regions, 
it might show up a little bit differently in how we might attack it. Um, again, it goes back to making sure that inclusion and diversity is relevant within the organization. Relevance equals how do you connect it to business strategy. And so that's something that we're really excited about. From the gender perspective, we're very excited about you know, some of the things that we're doing from our hiring, development, and retention. We have a program called Girls for Tech, which we made a commitment for 200,000 girls until 2020 to make sure they're exposed to STEM industry. That's huge. That's a stake in the ground that our organization is saying we are committed to creating that next pipeline of diverse leaders within the industry, so to speak. Right, so we'll certainly circle back on some right, of the impact right, that that, that right, work has had. Right, thank right. you very much. Thank you. Linda, let me come to you and talk to us about your initiatives. Again, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Um, so I'm sure all of you know that in professional services, um, we serve clients. So that is my day job. Um, but what happened about three years ago was, and I only serve clients in financial services, it became apparent within the consulting group, not just in human capital, but in strategy tech and um, our human capital practice, that maybe we were losing some deals because we weren't bringing the right teams. And it wasn't just our look and feel. You know, it's pretty easy to see an all-white male team walking out to a client and say, hey, let's you know, not do that. But it was maybe the diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. You know, We're very quick in professional services to say, we lost that deal because of price. And we started to really be honest with ourselves. Was it really price? Was right. it maybe we didn't have the most creative solution? Maybe we didn't bring all the creative minds. And how would we do that? And so we started to look internally from a business perspective of how do we win more work? And not, again, not only do our clients have diverse um, buyers, but it's much more about how we look at it. And so we decided that we were going to take a look, a hard look at ourselves, and I raised my hand, don't ask me why, to um, think about how we could really make the biggest impact. And with all of the initiatives out there that the firm did and a lot of things that Randall spoke about that our firm does, I thought, we really need to get back to basics. We really need to talk about why there's bias in our own practice. And we decided that we were going to have mandatory training for our consulting partners, which is about 500 partners in the US. And our leader, Brian Johnston, took up the charge and said, you know, we, we can really learn. And like all good consultants, we hired another consultant to do the training because you know, <laughs> people listening to us might not happen. Right. Um, so that worked really well. And what became very apparent was the real unconscious bias moments that are really good people just weren't recognizing. And it wasn't just about women although we have a lot of women in our practice, it was about gender, I mean about age, it was about all kinds of things. And at the end of the day, it really became about the mini-me syndrome. We think alike like consultants. We get mm -hmm. trained, we're trained to be consultants. And maybe that's not okay. Maybe we need to be trained to look at different avenues. So that, that's the initiative that I led. And that's, that's an amazing program to go through. And again, we'll unpick some of the, the, the positive impact that that has had. But, but let me bring in Jan at this point. So, so Jan, talk, talk to us about what you're doing in Nature. So I'd like to offer a little bit of a compare and contrast, right? So compared to MasterCard and Deloitte, NACHA is a not-for-profit, small business, an association that is reliant upon diverse stakeholders to come together to help us fulfill the needs of the industry, right? In our payments ecosystem, when rules, standards, education, or accreditation need to be done in a consistent way because it helps the whole ecosystem. So our whole mission is dependent on a little bit different kind of diversity. But with that said, um, I am very proud that last Friday, 
I was able to accept an award on behalf of our engaged and empowered employee base as one of the best places to work in Virginia, where we are here, right in the state of Virginia. And I'd say our engaged and empowered workforce, because as a small group of people, you have to be agile. You need to be adaptable. You need to offer opportunities for change and growth that are very different than if you have a few hundred or a few thousand or tens of thousands uh, of employees. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about what does it take to be engaged and empowered and to really you know, foster that, um, I also reflect upon the statistics of our organization. 74% of NACHA are women. 36% are ethnically or racially diverse. So we have a very diverse but small workforce. And what it means is that we really have to foster authenticity versus assimilation, right? We don't want everybody to be the same. And how do you really foster authenticity, especially when you're a small group, and especially when you want to foster change and adaptation? Um, so it takes a unique set of skill sets. And when we think particularly about sort of the impact, I mean, Randall, you were talking about skills there and the authenticity of not only an organization and the culture, but the authenticity of human beings when, when they work with that as well. Uh, talk to us about some of the positive impacts that your initiatives have had. So for a, a, you know, a MasterCard, I think we need to step back and say how we even define diversity as well as inclusion for our company. Diversity, all the things that make us both similar as well as different. There are things about people you can see, things you can't see. Um, none of us are a carbon copy of each other, so therefore we're all diverse. When you think about inclusion, um, it is a skill set, a leadership skill set, how well you're able to build diverse teams and keep them. I could have gone into a lot more of a dramatic interpretation of what that definition is, but how do you build diverse teams and how do you keep them? Some of the things that we're working on as an organization to show the impact of our, our work is shown throughout every a thing that we do as an organization links back to our business strategy. And so in the approach, as I said earlier, that we take is a regional approach, um, understanding what's the most important um, aspect of inclusion and diversity that we can support the regions. So for example, it could be locals versus expats in Asia, or it could be gender balance within the US, or in the US it could be people of color. So whatever that looks like, based on what the leadership team is saying is most important for them in order to drive their strategy, that's what we're working on. Mm -hmm. uh, that whole approach to me is something very exciting because a lot of organizations don't do it. I mean, I remember in, as I was evolving as an inclusion leader, I would go and force myself on the company to say, you need to do these things. But the company wasn't asking for it. So what our approach is, is that we're taking the opportunity to sit back and be consultants and say, what is your goal over the next three to five years from a business perspective, not diversity, but how can we support you enabling that strategy? Well, that's a perfect segue to bring in, uh, to bring in Linda there as the consultant, actually, in terms, and I'm very interested in, in the conversations you have with your clients, thinking about their commercial intentions and the impact of thinking about their teams and their human capital has upon achieving that uh, through the advice that you give. 
So from, from an external perspective, um, two things. One is I think it's very good, it's very easy, easier to give clients advice on the what they should do because it's very obvious when you're on the side of the, on the table. And that was really maybe more of the aha moments for us of what we needed to do to be able to not just speak the speak, but really understand how difficult, it was very easy to give advice or it's easy to give a strategy paper, but how difficult it is for an organization to make those changes. And again, I think we used ourselves as the mirror that said, you know, what are the changes that we need to make? And to go to, to the question of impact, the training that we did was um, very eye-opening, as I said, but what, what was really impactful, in my opinion, was the language that people agreed to at the end of every session to start to use. And it sounds so small, but I kind of think of this as like small drips to really make the change. And some of the language was about when we talk about our teams, to your point, we all are different. Or when we talk about our clients using certain words, instead of using the word, you know, that's a really tough client when it's a man, we can use the same word when it's a female client. Right. And it has an impact on the junior staff that they start to understand that it's the same mm -hmm. versus maybe a negative word if we have a tough client who's a woman. So I think those small impacts of our language had such a much bigger impact than I guess I would have realized. Mm -hmm. and, and Jan, when you talk about the authenticity of the organization and the <laughs> diversity and the, and the, um, the equality that, that, that you've driven through, to what degree are your members uh, concerned about how your organization is structured and do they question you about that? You know, I, I'll go back to defining authenticity a, a little bit more because in, in, in comparison, Assimilation means we're really trying to get everybody to be exactly the same, right? Both as employees as well as members. Right. It does not do the organization or the industry much good if you all have exactly the same needs, if you all want exactly the same thing, because I do think it's a diversity of thought that helps. So, so from a definitional standpoint, if you think about that, and, and I'll go back to my career, I worked for IBM 40 years ago. At that time, everybody wore a blue suit, a white shirt, and a red tie. Even if you were a woman, right? Although I couldn't wear pants, everybody wore skirts, right? So, I mean, there was a real dress code. Everybody was the same. You were trained in exactly the same way. That is not our world today. Every company, including IBM, has changed from that mode. And to the extent that authenticity means you don't leave a part of yourself at the door, it's as important for employees as it is for members. So if I come to work and I talk about my kids or my dog, that's OK. Um, if I am uh, of a different religion, that's okay. If I'm in a same-sex marriage, that's okay. These are all diversity things that aren't as apparent on the face as perhaps gender or uh, race, right? Because you can see those things as, as diversity. But it's recognizing diversity in thought and experience and then allowing that for come to come to the table. So as a convener of diverse organizations, as well as an employer of diverse people, the same concepts hold true. Mm -hmm. How do you allow for authenticity? And part of that just means a deep sense of integrity, right? You have to have an environment where trust and honesty are there for people to be able to share their ideas, their opinions, and not be challenged or criticized except to the extent it allows everyone to move forward. So I, I think it takes a communication skill set that can be taught, 
by managers, it can be taught by facilitators. And as we keep thinking about how do you pull out of people their unique thoughts, trust increases. Honesty increases, and frankly, productivity then increases also. And a lot of that's driven by uh, comes back to the points about culture and having that kind of uh, honest feedback loop that, that, that organisations often sort of it, it's their ambition to reach that 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 wonderful environment where everybody can live in complete harmony throughout right. organisations. But there is a, there is a word that comes up a lot uh, when I interview senior execs around the world, which is this question about intersectionality. And this is a concern that has been raised to me on more than one occasion about while we are building networks, so you know, women networks or LGBT networks or ethnic minority and ethnic heritage networks, uh, networks of people who are caring for elderly people and also disability networks. And I could go on because there are, there are many different types of networks. That there is a risk that we may end up in a world that is uh, continually siloed. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity to drive change and almost accelerate change uh, is when those networks can begin to uh, take advantage of the intersectionality that, that's put before them. I would love to hear your views on uh, your experiences of that, whether you think, in fact, that is empowering or whether we have some way to go yet. Uh, Randall, let me come to you first of all. So um, I'm glad we have a diversity inclusion council as well as a senior leadership team because sometimes my thinking is a little bit ahead of where the organization wants to go, so they rein me back in. As a tenant of me, uh, as an inclusion diversity leader, I don't believe you can build an inclusive environment in silos. That's just a tenet of how I like to lead from a strategy perspective. That doesn't take away from, I believe that um, certain groups should get together whenever they want to from a networking perspective. But if we're trying to get to that place of inclusion, what we want to do ultimately is have those different perspectives around the table, around different topics. I come to work every day as a black gay man in a, in a racial relationship. I don't need more of that. I got that. Mm -hmm. But I do want to understand you know, from other perspectives, what does it mean to be a single parent? So you can have many different perspectives around the table that gives you what does it mean to have a black child? What does it mean to have a white kid? What does it mean to have an LGBT kid? But they're all parents, but you're talking about something that creates a commonality. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things from an inclusion perspective is that building those types of networks allows the walls to fall because you then create something where people can find that similarity with each other. And so when the real things happen around where your differences are, you're more willing to actually have that conversation because you've built a relationship with that person on a different level. And Linda, I mean, is that is your, your experience as you look at your, your clients and you're advising your clients and also from your organization? So an interesting, um, and you may have read this, about a year and a half ago, Deloitte um, disbanded its um, ERG groups, its employee uh, resource groups. And um, Harvard Business Review wrote a pretty disparaging article about Deloitte and why would we do that? And it was for this very point, that we had been doing that for many years, over 20 years, and where that was great and people had a safe place to go and they got networked. What we weren't doing was making sure that that was shared. And so it was still very much in silos. And so the our correction article was that we didn't disband them. What we said was the funding is going to be at the highest level right. of all the groups when they want to have events so that people actually are sharing what is common, what is not. 
And we have a, um, a test, if you will, that we give when we start new teams that we give to everyone to fill out. They don't have to if they don't want to, but in our internal teams around you know, wh what they are. Are they a gay person? Are they religious? Whatever. And then they share it with the group so that we all know who everybody is and what's common. And one of the things that has been very eye-opening is how many things are more common right. about people than what you think from, from the outside. And mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like our way of an icebreaker for a new team because in consulting you know the team is who's available on the, on the beach so to speak so sometimes you don't know who, who they are and I think that is really it goes back to the language part of we really think it's much more about what's more common than right. the fact that you're going to you know have you have aging parents and so you're going to talk about that that's fine but maybe you're the kid of an aging parent right. because you're 22 and right. how does that impact you so that's, that was the reason for us kind of breaking down those silos. Mm -hmm. I, I think they raised a good point that, uh, frankly, we might have a risk of moving towards, and that is too many labels, right? That mm -hmm. I'm labeled as a white woman or you're right. labeled as a black man. I mean, that creates silos. It creates expectations of, you know, what attributes go with that label. And I think to the degree I go back to my comments, if in fact you're encouraging authenticity and a person feels comfortable right. talking mm -hmm. about their environment, be it elderly parents, be it a struggle with race or religion or whatever it is, if it's a safe environment for that communication, you avoid the labels and gender authenticity. Mm -hmm. And it's a risk to go there. It's a risk for the person, right, to, to share whatever that is. Um, but I think it's all around how do you communicate. Mm -hmm. and, and as we sit here at the beginning of uh, 2019, I'm really interested to hear what you're optimistic about as you, as you look out to this year and on into 2020. So Jan, can I bring you in there first of all? What, t tell us what you're optimistic about. You know, so, so again, not to be repetitive, but to focus on, on what it is, avoiding labels, being honest, having open communication to engender authenticity, is a journey, not a destination. So I would say we are misplaced if we say our goal is to get to X, be that X percent of uh, diversity in whatever category, but to recognize it is small steps every day and, and to find ways uh, to encourage that amongst whatever population you're dealing with is really what makes me optimistic. Because if that's a continuous journey, not a destination, you know you're always making progress. Wonderful, and Linda, what, what are your thoughts on, on reasons to be cheerful? Um, I'm cheerful for two things. One is that I think the world has been, has finally caught up. I thought the Super Bowl commercials were awesome on some of the issues. I think that it is not an, an, an initiative that's going to go away. And I think the second thing I'm optimistic about is the next generation that's in the workforce. I think that they are going to change this game. You know, I have two of them um, on my own, and the way they approach life and the way they think about diversity and everybody being, you know, on the same level playing field, I think is an amazing lesson that I hope everyone that's older than them that they work for someday can, can take heed. And final thoughts from Randall. Um, I'm really excited about helping the organization um, create an environment where all of our employees feel welcome and invited and valued within the company and at, at level, every level of the organization. The second piece, I'm excited about helping the organization meet its goals and objectives. Um, very few inclusion and diversity leaders will actually say that, but I'm really excited about helping the business. 
How do we again meet and exceed our customer expectations? That's what I'm excited about. Well, uh, and with that, I'm afraid we have to draw the conversation to a close. Time canters by uh, in these podcasts, but Jan, Linda and Randall, it's been a fascinating discussion. And with that, I invite this wonderful audience at the Women in Payments Symposium here in Washington, D.C. to join me in thanking our panel. And, and as always, to all our listeners around the world, my name is Julia Street, and thank you, as always, for listening to Diversity Podcast. This episode of Diversity Podcast was recorded live at the Women in Payment Symposium in Washington, D.C. on February the 5th, 2019. Thanks to Abdelatif Manzouri and the team at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, Pentagon City, for facilitating recording. You can catch up with all our previous episodes on your favourite podcast app or via our website at www.diversitypodcast.com and that's diversity spelt with a C, not an S. If you enjoy listening to Diversity Podcasts, spread the word. Tell a friend or write a review on iTunes. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Thanks for listening.